and to guide me through the papers this morning uh, I'm joined by a panel in studio Neve Lyons who's the political editor of the Ireland edition of the Times Philip Bryan who's the deputy political editor at Independent Newspapers and Owen O'Malley who's the senior lecturer in political science in the School of Law and Government at Dublin City University Thank you all for coming in to be with me this morning um, We'll have a look at the front pages of the papers and actually Philip Bryan's got his own story on page one of the Sindo We'll talk to him uh, about that in just a few minutes time HSE tried to hush up bed inquiry uh, The chairman of a major hospital group has said he was asked not to highlight significant underreporting of delayed discharges from hospital beds uh, which is one of the main cri- causes of the trolley crisis in an astonishing claim to the Minister of State at the Department of Health Jim Daly Graeme Knowles of the University of Limerick Hospitals Group says he was told by a HSE official it was quote important not to damage confidence in the HSE Mr Knowles, who was appointed by the department to head up a national working group on the delayed discharge issue, told Mr Daly in a four-page letter that the HSE's official's behaviour was unacceptable. Knowles said the HSE official concerned accepted that there was under-reporting of delayed discharges, but was, quote, presumably hoping that it would not be highlighted. Um, also on the front page of the Sindel today, IRFU investigates players' roles in anti-social incidents. Uh, Brendan Fanning reports that rugby authorities have launched an investigation after two alleged incidents involving Leinster rugby players celebrating their Pro 14 title win last weekend. In one of the alleged incidents last Sunday, a Leinster player is claimed to have urinated on the leg of a man while standing in a packed Dublin city centre pub. Stop your tittering in the background there. Uh, that was a, a very serious incident for whoever was on the receiving end of that. We'll talk about that uh, perhaps a little later on. Uh, front page of the Sunday Times. Trump, send in Farage to settle Brexit impasse. No sooner has he called for Boris Johnson to become the new Prime Minister than Donald Trump has said that it should be up to Nigel Farage to solve everything. He has told the Sunday Times today that Britain should send in Nigel Farage to negotiate with Brussels and pursue a no-deal Brexit if the EU refuses to give Britain what it wants. In an interview with the Sunday Times ahead of a state visit to the UK and Ireland this week, the US President said the next Prime Minister should refuse to pay the €44 billion Brexit divorce bill and just walk away if Brussels did not bow to Trump's demands. Also on the front page of the Sunday Times today, O'Dee rejects charge of anti- anti-Semitism from Shatter. Willie O'Dee, Fianna Fáil's social protection spokesman, has rejected, quote, an unfair charge by former Justice Minister Alan Shatter that he used a, quote, anti-Semitic description of, depiction of Jewish people in a speech in the Dáil five years ago. O'Dee, a former defence minister, said the claim in Shatter's new book, which is entitled Frenzy and Betrayal, The Anatomy of a Political Assassination, he says the charge is a leap of imagination that few people other than the former Fine Gael TD would be capable of and has called on him to... To withdraw it. Uh, front page of the Sunday Business Post. Bailey case, a tipping point for compensation culture, says top judge. This is the former High Court President, Nicholas Currens, who has described Maria Bailey's personal injuries action against the Dean Hotel as a tipping point in Ireland's insane compensation culture. And insane is not an in inverted commas, but I presume it's his word. Criticising the slow pace of reform that has led to businesses closing in the face of crippling insurance costs, Currens, who has chaired the Personal Injuries Commission, has told the Sunday Business Post that the abandoned Fine Gael lawsuit speaks for its itself. Also on the front page of the Business Post today, uh, the Department of Finance has warned that carbon tax refund could be the same for every single household, regardless of how much pollution it's causing. Now, Leo Varadkar had expressed a hope that households with low carbon lifestyles would be able to benefit more from some sort of carbon check. But the Department of Finance has now warned that it may not be possible to adjust the carbon tax refund based on factors such as the number of people living in every house. It says that varying the amount may not be practically feasible from an administration perspective, which opens up the prospect that some households burning coal could get exactly the same refund as those who are already using more eco-friendly heat pumps and solar panels. Front page of the Mail on Sunday. Uh, finally, uh, a bit of a look back at last week's elections. Poor election hits Fine Gael's belief in Varadkar, according to John Lee and John Drennan. 
A number of Fine Gael ministers and TDs believe the promise of an electoral bounce made by Leo Varadkar in the 2017 party leadership contest has proven false. It comes as the Taoiseach is left to grapple with the toxic fallout from his first national election campaign and calls for a reshuffle which so far he has shied away from. Party discipline has become a a topic of considerable discussion among the rank and file and the officer class in the government party. Uh, Finally look at the red tops uh, both the Irish uh, Sun on Sunday and the Sunday World leading with the same story. Uh, This is the uh, gang this is as the Sun and Sunday has put it, gangland target Lee Boylan's convicted armed robber dad was blasted yesterday outside a Lidl in West Dublin. Uh, Noel Boylan is a pal of mobster Christy Kinahan. He was shot in the stomach before the gun jammed. Uh, the Sunday World leads with the same story with the headline Lidl shot of horrors. So that's a tour of uh, what's on the front pages. But we'll start with the, the visit of Donald Trump um, to the this jurisdiction and to Doonbeg uh, later in this week. There is an extensive uh, report in the Sunday Business Post. Philip, I'll come to you first on this. Um, Barry J. White has been down to Doonbeg and often we hear about Doonbeg's attitude to all of this and we're told that Doonbeg is you know unmitigatingly positive about Donald Trump because of the local employment but it seems that from what uh, Barry J. White has uncovered today that they're a little bit uneasy about the whole thing that they're obviously very grateful for the jobs he has produced but they're not entirely wild about the man himself which is something we don't hear much about Well it, that's understandable I think I think the the whole thing with uh, Donald Trump is people are going to be divided on him yes the man has come in and created all these jobs down in Doonbeg but there's all the, the very many controversies that I don't think we can spend half the show yeah. going through here today. Yeah, we've only got two hours. Exactly. <laughs> if we were to discuss every single thing he's done. So like that obviously hangs over him. But the people who get up every morning and go down to the golf club and do whatever job they have down there, are presumably grateful for the pay packet that mm. comes at the end of the month. But th- this week they're going to have protesters down there. They're going to have some strange meeting between the Taoiseach and and Mr. Trump in a in an airport car park. Or <laughs> maybe they're, 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 it seems a bit well, odd as well. That, that's, that's the real five-star treatment for a visiting head of state. Uh, Neve, couldn't we do better it, than a car park? Would it be funny if Rag just said, just step into the car here. You know, yeah. like the way they do Sit meetings outside yeah. mass in the country. Yeah. In, the, in the way that Martin Callanan met with yeah, John McGuinness exactly. in the hotel car park all that time ago. I think it was. Like, the government seemed to be pushing for this airport meeting but I think it would have been a bit more becoming of a Taoiseach to meet in a hotel at least. Yeah but you didn't really want to see him sort of kowtowing I suppose we all remember the Noonan kind of Kamalia girls there waiting for him at the bottom of the the red carpet to his his jet at the time. It it, it would be an oddity though wouldn't it if we were hosting we were supposed to be hosting this meeting but if the meeting was actually being hosted by the Irish government in Donald Trump's personal golf resort. Yeah I suppose I I, I, the run to the room then. Yeah, there was a pre-team down in Dromoland but obviously that didn't, that wasn't satisfactory. I guess Trump probably and his team didn't want to give publicity to their rival which is kind of fair enough. Mm. Um, yeah, there's going to be the baby blimp is going to be coming over as well, the big baby blimp that we all remember from the London protests. Yeah. And some TDs will be protesting. Jan O'Sullivan, um, the Limerick politician and former uh, junior minister is going to be down in the peace camp as will Claire Daly who's just been elected MEP um, and I believe some of the others haven't quite made up their minds yet about whether they're doing that and that's kind of all around Shannon mm. with a, a very heavy emphasis on the military use of Shannon yeah. aviation rules allowed a blimp that's a good in, question. In, where, where, do we know yeah. where the blimp is actually supposed to be uh, floated or hoisted in, in some way? Yeah, and that's a good while away from where they're going to be. But yeah. I mean, I suppose there's going to be a ring of steel 
the likes of which we've probably never seen, even with the Obama visit. I mean, I remember there was SEAL teams going down through drains uh, underneath Trinity College before Obama's visit, and he was only here for a few hours. This guy's here for a few days. But I think keeping him sort of sanitised in his campus um, will also help because you just literally won't have access to any part of of that. You mentioned that it's a sort of protest, an operation, a a ring of steel, the likes of which we've never seen. There's a fair chance that very few of us will actually get to see it because of how well closeted he's going to be for the whole thing. Oh, Mali, there's a piece by uh, Neve Horan on page five of the Sunday Independent today. And she says that uh, bad manners, immature demonstrations and cutting off our nose to spite our face will not bring favours when we go cap in hand to President Trump. And mark my words, the day will come. Ireland is already trying to convince US authorities that we're not a trade threat after being placed on a watch list of nine nations that America currently regards as potential currency threats. We have so many US companies located here. The last thing we would want to do is provoke a backlash. Would it have hurt so much to go to the president's resort when talking about a trillion dollar issue? I mean, Neil Horan is obviously a big fan of Trump. Uh, and obviously, we don't want to deliberately insult uh, the leader of, of a country that we're trading with. Mm. But Although there no, are many, there are as many American jobs uh, in America supported yeah. by Irish firms than there and, are the other and way nor, nor do we. I mean, I think diplomats would say you know, it would be a bit unusual for a Taoiseach to go down to somebody else's holiday home to, mm. to organise their meeting. I think it's perfectly reasonable that the Irish have kind of mm. held fast. Especially on that. if it's small potatoes, of course, as Trump has famously labelled. And it's small before. potatoes, and I mean, Trump doesn't have all of the cards anyway. Here, uh, I mean. Ireland is is reasonably well placed in terms of you know with the, with the discussion of Brexit and mm. whether the UK gets a trade deal in the, in the future. Ireland has a lot of friends beyond Trump, and they're they're, they're well placed. So I'm not sure that we need to. I, I don't think doffing the cap to Trump is going to do us any favours or our reputation. Ireland will still be around as a country long after Trump goes. So mm. I think we have to hold our head high and That's remember a that bold declaration. That there is, there is <laughs> we will survive as a nation for the next next five yeah. and a half years. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you think, though, uh, Philip, not, not only about the, the optics of the whole thing, but the, the general sense that because this meeting is now happening in Shannon Airport, when we know privately that Donald Trump wanted to have the convenience of having it hosted in Doonbeg itself, you generally get the vibe that Donald Trump sees this leg of the visit. That one thing about doing a state visit to the UK and having all of the, you know, the, the formalities and the black tie dinners and the, the champagne and all of that sort of stuff, even though he's a teetotaler himself, but that the Irish wing is just a dreadful inconvenience and that he wanted to stay in Doonbeg as his base to go to Normandy. And the idea of having to meet anyone or do anything while he's here. It's just a monumental pain in his back. He just wanted to visit his holiday home while he was in yeah. an area doing business. And, and that's all we are. So the, the car park meeting is just that. It's just something, well, I'm, I'm in Ireland. I better meet this guy. Mm. He, the, the main thing is... Are we genuinely talking about a car park meeting, by the way? Is that well, the, the know, actual... Maybe, yeah. <laughs> 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 it's it's become the truth now. It's the Saipan of car park meetings. Yeah, we, yeah. we couldn't find a proper venue, so we're just having it in a car park. Well, like if we look at as well the tension the last time the Taoiseach and Donald Trump met, um, in the Oval Office yeah. um, I think they crossed paths in France for Armistice Day as well but um, you know the whole meeting and the the awkwardness that people might not know this when they see um, the pictures come back on Paddy's Day but when they're sitting there for the shots in the Oval they haven't actually had their meeting yet Yeah, and it has never happened before when questions were thrown we always kind of go you know, coming to Ireland blah 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 yeah. but Trump went into a full press conference because that day he was looking to divert from something else that was happening. And he was asked a lot about trade with the EU and trade with Britain. Mm. Um, And it sort of plays into what's being said in the front page of the Sunday Times today. 
you know, Trump really does not want good relations with the European Union and he will be quite happy to do a trade deal with the United States. I mean, despite the Tisha Consange have frequently said, oh, you know, the red lines on the border or the red lines and the, you know, uh, the Ways and Means Committee will never sign off on a trade deal if something happens with the border. I mm. mean, as long as he is there, something in that regard will definitely move. And I think saying... So you think that the Irish concerns will just be overridden when well, it comes I, to the... Well, I mean, everything has to go through ways and means in the end. But I mean, certainly there can be this sort of wall type mentality built up around this trade deal between Britain um, and the United States for as long as he's there. And let's face it, he's probably going to get a second term. Like, the other issue here is how he's going to even treat Theresa May. I mean, the last time she was the first person that he engaged with after taking office yeah. and he did nothing but talk down to her. Now, and he's hold her hand. starting off the visit by saying, oh, just cut and run. But yeah. what exactly is the Brexit, can they be, actually genuinely begin trade talks with another country? If but, the current oh, Brexit, well, I mean, they the, have to get out. Like exactly, first, they have yeah, to leave first, first and, and then the, the, the future yeah. relationship agreement has to be drafted. Mm. Yeah, and second. then you start talking. So, well, yeah. Trump's going to be around when they are actually starting. And realistically, yeah. he'll be long gone. Trump will not be there. Happens. I'm not sure it's. Well, uh, well, then on that note, then, and Neve, you mentioned the the Sunday Times piece in which, uh, as I said <laughs> in the introduction, that only a couple of days ago, uh, Donald Trump was openly calling for Boris Johnson to become the next Prime Minister, and yet now to the Sunday Times, he's calling for Nigel Farage to be given control of the whole thing. It does raise a question, Philip. To what use the meeting might actually be, anyway, because as was said uh, three months ago when Leo Varadkar met Donald Trump in the Oval Office, his mind is sort of made up on Brexit, anyway, and that we're not really going to change his mind. He's not; he might, you know, recognise Ireland's position, but he's not going to sympathise with it, and that there's very little you can really achieve in that sort of meeting. I think with Trump, the the thing is to always ingratiate yourself to him, make mm. him feel that you do like him. And, and anyone that does that seems to kind of get a, a little bit of plumazing of him, a little tickling of the chin, and he's he's yours. And that's and what he, we're going for, to, isn't it? Yeah. You can see the guy. Exactly. Just, just humour just the man. humour him. That's the, the, the yeah. actual... And he tells the biggest nuclear arsenal in the world and we should just humour him. Because even when you look at Boris, Boris went out during the election. Boris said the man wasn't fit for office. Mm. Then, of course, Boris changes his mind. Mm. Um in the same way it changes it very quickly and then after after election suddenly they're best friends and Trump can't go out of his way to say how great a guy this guy is. Oh and you wanted to come in there? Yeah well Trump's opinion tends to be depend on who the last person he spoke to was so if you speak to him yeah. you could change his Which mind. maybe then means that it's a good idea we should speak to him so regularly Yeah but every look three at the months. chaos he just wants to create I mean my point is he just wants to make it look like his main allies from now on are going to be Britain just in order to create that bit of chaos with what's left of the talks. I mean, imagine before coming on a state visit and your message is, you know, oh, just get out of the EU. I mean, it's what they've been trying to do anyway for Mm. the last two years with very little success. And there's no... You know, there is no um, Remainer lining up at the moment on the Tory side to take over the party. And yet, none of them want the hardest of hard deals. That they still want to leave Theresa May yeah. there. Um, which then, but it does beg the interesting question, and you've already uh, ventured towards it, as to how is he going to treat Theresa May when he's openly lauding two of her biggest political rivals, including one man who's walked out of her cabinet? I also think it'll be hard for him. He He's the type, I think he's the type of personality that, that doesn't even like to be in people's company if they're suddenly irrelevant. Mm. You know, he's the type of guy that wants to do a deal with someone. If that person is in a position to do a deal, then he really wants to talk to the person who can. Yeah. 
Uh, which then the queen. raises the, <laughs> the, the queen. <laughs> so he just have to have that sit down with the queen and talk about trade with the queen. What, what do you think the queen would say back to him if he tries to raise that sort of stuff? I, but by the sounds of it, his main interest is to talk to the queen or at least be in her company yeah. because yeah. that's the sort of bling that he, he yeah. really likes and appreciates. But then, then should we really be engaging in, in scratching his back and all of this when it is as superficial as that and whether he just wants to be around for a white tie dinner mm. and state banqueting? Well, that, I mean, as Philip says, there's no harm in being nice to the guy. Just... Mm. Give him the well, impression that we like him. Or is there, there harm to the guy? Because this is going to be a, a difficult question, Philip, for the Irish government, because we are going to have, as you mentioned uh, earlier, going to have the likes of Claire Daly and others uh, protesting at peace camps. But we've also already heard from several members of the Independent Alliance who are pretty insistent on, you know, mm. voting with their feet and standing somewhere in a point of protest when this all comes as well. So even if we do decide that on a superficial level, it's worth scratching Donald Trump's back, it's going to mean a little bit of internal incoherence at best for the Irish government isn't it? I don't know how inconvenient it'll be will Trump even realise this has happened? Yeah, does does no. Trump know who John Halligan is? Does Trump know who Finian McGrath is? Well he I'm should not, well, he, he I'm not should, sure he does. He's his main rival for the Nobel Peace Prize trying to solve <laughs> North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, maybe yeah maybe he has heard of him through there through North Korea. Nave your thoughts? Yeah I like I overall I, whenever you see um, I mean I've spoken to a lot of the backroom team in Taoiseach's department when they come back from a visit to the Oval or when Mm. there's interaction Mm. with Donald Trump. And it's happened now on, I I think, what, three occasions. And they are starting from such a low base level in terms of his basic understanding. I mean, the first time when Andy Kenny went over, really uh, everything from, you know, the border up had to be explained to him and why Ireland and Northern Ireland were sort of different jurisdictions or whatever. And that the 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 conversation has just moved on from that very basic point. So the idea that there would be some huge um, influence or or massive um, you know spin off for Ireland out of all this, yeah. just not the, the case. government is the government is also dealing with a beast that they've never encountered before, especially when it comes down to protocol. The confusion around if you remember last November, I think it was oh, yeah. when he was supposed to come, yes, and then even the lead up to this visit, the official announcement, they they genuinely don't seem to know what's going on over mm. there. And people just speaking to there, we, we don't know if he's I coming think they or not. We don't know what to confirm the visit either because they wanted to sort of see, well, is there some place we could just stay mm. when we go over mm. to the D Day celebration I, and I think just is, get isn't out that of here? It, that they just wanted to send yeah. out the process of whether they could use the hotel without having to introduce any kind of diplomacy to it yeah. at all and basically use that as a stopover point. It is Sunday morning, the 2nd of June, and it's Gavin Riley with you on the record on News Talk. And my panel is still with me in studio, Ono O'Malley, Philip Ryan and Neve Lyons. Neve, we were talking through the break about who wants to take the lead in our discussion about Maria Bailey, and you sighed dramatically <laughs> deeply and said you weren't sure what to think about all of this anymore. What are me? your conflicting Dramatic? thoughts? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, I just don't know where I stand anymore on it, because part of me, uh, it kind of bothered me this week when I heard this sort of feminist thing. I'm just a girl on a swing asking people to... Put Push me. Like, I also think, you know, this is just such typical media storm around something that you see sometimes in the United States that it's it's like a, just a hurricane of stuff. Mm. But also there's an article today <clears throat> in, in the Sunday Business Post. Which one did I read? Colin Murphy. Um, Bailey has been punished enough and he's talking about kind of the mob culture of online Mm. and he sort of has an interesting few lines in there about the notion that 
her punishment on Twitter and whatever has has almost been enough. But I think what, what but, what, but what what is the punishment on Twitter that, other than my, other than my, people saying that it's a bit be, mad? Yeah, when when the news came out this week, that there's going to be an inquiry into it, and I sort of thought to myself, right, no matter what the outcome is, what would she be punished for? Mm. She took a case as is her right as a citizen mm. in 2015 before she even knew she was going to be a politician, and let's not forget that mm. she was thrown onto that ticket. Mm. They did not think she had a hope. Mary Mitchell O'Connor, I hate those words, you know, saying things like getting her in, but there was a huge, you know, uh, FG wave in that constituency. They have three out yes, of five. That's right, yeah, because there, there was three uh, there were three two out of four, four because it was the, the existing Ken Ken Corley Corley was there, Corley, so there yeah. were only three seats up for grab, and <clears> Finnegan <throat> managed to win two of them, along <clears> with Maria Bailey and Mary Mitchell O'Connor. So. You know, she herself possibly didn't think that she'd be in that situation <clears throat> at that time. And obviously, if she uh, went to Madigan's solicitors, perhaps Josefa Madigan didn't think she would, would be, um, there either. be there either. Yeah. Um, the culture minister hasn't said whether or not she's herself involved in that case. It, it appears to be her brother. And, and obviously, the minister has since herself left the firm because mm. she became minister. So there's that kind of element of it as to, you know, what was was she supposed to know? Then I suppose when you see the rise and the fact that that, that claims issue and the insurance issue um, were the underlying issue of the election. I wasn't expecting that myself at all. I heard um, a few different radio shows about people calling in and, and anecdotally speaking about yeah. kind of crashes. Just who saying that she was a drag on the ticket somehow. Well, no, that that that. They themselves weren't able mm. to keep their businesses going and that people were going to the wall. Mm. And I suppose it would take someone able to very well see around corners within Fine Gael to look at something like that and to kind of say, hey, listen, if you if that's still live, yeah. I think, caught it. I think perhaps we've been done a disservice then by not allowing this thing go to full trial. And if Maria Bailey did feel and does seem to feel, judging by her interview last week, last Monday, that she did have a case, you know, a genuine case, well, mm. maybe she should let it go all the way to trial then. Maybe mm. she should pursue this case. Maybe she thinks that she couldn't get because a, of a fair hearing of because opinion. of the coverage of newspapers like your own. Well, that's uh, casting aspersions on the judiciary there, Gavin, I think, because if it goes to the the if it goes to the court, they, they, they should rule on it and they should look at all the, the evidence and they should look at the evidence which the Irish Independent meticulously uncovered around uh, some of the the, the the comments made in her legal documents around being able to not being able to run for three mm. months, then it transpired she was able to run ten uh, k with an under an hour, three within a week or two of of this. That there, there's lots of questions. She wasn't willing to answer any of these questions, of course, when she was mm. asked a lot of them uh, on the Sean well, O'Rourke show. And last she did week. insist so, as well that she only wanted her medical expenses. Mm. But if that was the case, then she was in the wrong court going to the circuit court would have meant yeah. there was a minimum settlement of 16,000. Yeah, instead of going to the district court yeah. which had that lower jurisdiction. But the on the election side of things, I think the Fianna Gael are traditionally the party of the, the, the small and medium enterprise, the, yeah. the small business person and the big business person, I suppose, in some respects. And it did hit that vote because these are the companies that are, are dealing with people who are making these claims. Um, and, and I'm not saying Maria Bailey's was, was fraudulent or not. We, mm. we can't tell anymore. We'll never no. know. Because it'll never be said. And I think every, Heather Humphrey said it quite well. And in she, the dull during the week she's kind of saying yeah. yeah like you fall over in the yard you get up you dust mm. yourself off but there has become um, and it was something I remember speaking to Leo Varadkar about when he was in opposition ages ago there was an actual physical calculator that you could go onto on the small claims website and you yeah. could look mm. at the price of what you'd get if you hurt your finger versus what if you broke your back but it's basically that's the book of quantum basically yeah. isn't it like mm. it is public domain stuff isn't it but the if you were to sue for every time every bump and scratch you got on a night out mm. she'd well, be a millionaire the one thing that I found sort of baffling about Maria Bailey's uh, ill-fated interview earlier this week was that she could neither explain why she was taking the case i.e. why she 
thought the hotel was responsible for what had happened regarding the swing. But she also then couldn't explain why she was withdrawing it because when she was asked why she was withdrawing it, she said, oh, well, you know, judge and jury and executioner. But yet she couldn't talk about certain matters on the premises if they were still sub say, which kind of confused me as well. So that I think she was always on a, a hiding to nothing because if she couldn't explain why she was taking it nor why mm. she was dropping it. And now it, it seems to Fine Gael, Leo Radker's decision is almost to to have some sort of internal show trial on this mm. where mm. they will have uh, an appointed uh, a Fine Gael friendly mm. barrister presumably of some description appointed uh, this guy to, to look through the documents yeah. and, and actually what to play do we think, out the court which is a strange kind uh, of What do we think the logical conclusion of it will be? A rap on the knuckles lose your committee thing? I mean why can't the Taoiseach just do that himself and well, make his own Well I, I think to, to, to get back to your earlier question just before I bring Owen in on this when you're asking what, what exactly can Fine Gael do for her because being a PR shambles is not a disciplinary offence yeah. in and of itself mm. I, I put that point to a couple of Fine Gael figures during the week and the response that I kept getting back was that if they can somehow prove that some sort of uh, knowingly wrongful or false declaration was filed to the courts in the course of all of this like for example her declaration that she couldn't run for three months only mm. then to discover that she was running within three weeks that if they un- uncover sufficient evidence for that that maybe they can charge her with bringing the party into disrepute and use that as a way of, yeah. of deselecting her and there'll be no shortage of candidates Jennifer who will be Carol McNeil up in that neck of the woods did put, put, extremely well putting forward their vocals. hands to, to be put through for that um, Ona Mali, what do you, do you make of all of this? Because obviously there is uh, a certain legitimate amount of people pointing and laughing and saying the absolute state. And yet there's also maybe an unhealthy quotient of people pointing and laughing and saying the absolute state. And that it can feel like a bit of a mob mentality, even when some of the justification is, is justified. <coughs> yeah, it must be awful for her. I'd hate to be her in the last couple of weeks. Uh, but she has shown exceptionally poor judgment. So whatever she had done in terms of making the decision to take the case and proceed with the case Mm. the decision to go on that interview and to take the I'm the victim here Sean attitude showed exceptionally poor judgement she probably whatever about whether she's actually done something wrong herself whether she had lied or done something like that if I were in Fine Gael, I'd want her off the ticket. It won't do them any good to have her on the ticket. And there is a there's a ready-made candidate there uh, who can who can sit in. I was kind of interested about what Nicholas Kearns, the former president of the High Court, yeah, had to say. Yeah, commenting in the front of the Business Post today. I mean, he said it was kind of a tip, tipping point for the compo culture. And when people kind of point to a culture of something, I'm always a little bit sceptical because cultures usually emerge because... There is some sort of structure in place that enable that. And so what is it that gives us this compo culture? Is it because the law is deficient? Is there a problem that it's too easy to sue places? A lot of people kind of say, oh, it's the judge's fault. Lawyers say it's not. It's the law's fault. Uh, Unfortunately, Nikki Kearns didn't actually pinpoint Mm. where the problem started from. But it might be useful uh, for Fine Gael rather than doing a little trial of yeah. Maria Bailey to actually get a few people together and, and consider that and what the problem is. But won't it be interesting now the next time that Taoiseach is standing across from Mary Lou Macdonald in the doll and attempts to call her scripted and attempts to kind of talk about how that party handles its disciplinary issues. Mm. I mean, this and the was, whole question of kangaroo courts yeah, and parallel justice systems. This was systems. an instance where the Taoiseach could have taken control of the situation himself and, you know, I'm not talking about summary justice, but I am talking about, you know, talk to her, talk it out and mm. do what you feel you need to do from there. I don't know how many people with legal backgrounds were involved in Sinn Féin's <laughs> well, uh, that, that, that's a point that we might less allow rest for another time. But I do think uh, it's an interesting point, though, what you mentioned, uh, Owen, about the whole question mark of um, what do you do? I think that there's, there's a really, really interesting point, Philip, that you made. 
if the case had gone to court, at least we might know if it was a tipping mm. point or not. Because if it turns out that she had gone to court and no matter what question marks there might have been about the chain of events on the night, if she had been awarded those costs by the court, then you'd say, well, actually, no, the problem is not with her. It is with whatever way the system is set up. We don't know. Exactly. Mm. This could be in a defective swing. Maybe there was a loose screw in the ceiling which actually came undone and c- collapsed. Maybe there was negligence involved. Or maybe there wasn't. <laughs> or maybe there wasn't, as the hotel has insisted. Uh, speaking of, of uh, Bailey's of, of different sorts, we're going to move on to the whole question marks about Ian Bailey, who has his own uh, travails with the justice system at the moment. Um, Owen, what do you make of this? Because we are now in a, a weird situation where um, if we are to recognise uh, other countries as having a justice system at all, you are obviously obliged to have a certain amount of respect for a, mm. a ruling that a French court has reached. But it's a ruling which is not just only contested by Ian Bailey, but also to a certain degree by the Irish state itself, because it has refused on successive uh, indications to uh, extradite him. And it has refused in this instance to charge him with the crime that he's now been convicted of. So it's a difficult balancing act, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so the DPP had gone through all the evidence, available evidence of, uh, as to whether to put Ian Bailey to trial said there wasn't enough there, uh, it wasn't good enough, mm. uh, there were problems with some of the Garda, Garda evidence and the way it was collected. Uh, the French courts seems to have a slightly different attitude towards mm. evidence, so yeah. it, it appears that even most of the, many of the witnesses didn't actually appear in this sort of trial. Uh, so the trial itself looks what would be on Irish grounds deficient mm. and so it would be very difficult for Ireland to send he's not an Irish citizen but to send a resident of Ireland to uh, France mm. where where we've well one the crime didn't commit take well, yeah. place there mm. and two So we should even be in, to some degree even contesting their jurisdiction over it Yeah and and we have already tri- we've, we've already at least investigated this pretty extensively yeah. and we've looked into it uh, an Irish legal officer has made a decision that there isn't enough evidence and so I don't, I don't see how we can how we can extradite him mm. uh, but then there there was a there was a piece in the Irish Times a couple of weeks ago I think by Dermot Walsh uh, who's a professor of criminal law in a UK university and uh, he was looking at successive <coughs> poor decisions made by the by the Irish government uh, about how we transpose some of these kind of EU rules into Irish law and that we've been a bit lax in doing mm. so. And that the only reason uh, Ian Bailey hasn't been extradited is because he's an English citizen, not an Irish citizen. Mm. Uh, Niamh, Philip, any thoughts well, on that? Well, he's innocent in the eyes of the law. Oh. And I suppose in the French system, they don't have what we would have, which is, you know, the beyond a reasonable doubt it seems to it's be a, a weighted, yeah, sort of if if there is enough um, evidence and if, and if it's almost that there's only sort of the last man standing. Um, it's bizarre to think, though, that even if he was extradited, that he would have to face trial again. Mm. So there's a question of how many times can you put yeah. someone on trial for the same thing? Um, I just think it's so terribly sad when you see footage of um, her son, Pierre-Louis, who continues to go down to Tourmore near Skull with his family and you know it just must be he 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 it must be such a haunting place for him um you know they probably can't figure out why um no one has ever even come close to um you know yeah. being convicted for this terrible crime mm. um but it's just it, the problem now is memories have faded so much has been written and and has been conflated around the case it would probably now in Ireland be impossible to put somebody on trial for this. Yeah, because the, the most so telling comment is from the former director, 
of public prosecution, James Hamilton, in describing the evidence. And he says in a statement that Maeve Sheaton got here in Sunday Independent, he said, evidence means facts which prove the case against the accused and does not include material which is merely prejudicial, such as speculation, suspicion, gossip, and evidence of bad character lacking of any evidential link to the offence charged. And that's what it'll boil down a to lot if of it's people, ever tried here again. Yeah, a lot of people out there will have heard the West Cork documentary, mm. a really interesting yeah. doc mm. that was done by Audible and the couple who researched it. Uh, the, the the real issue was the kind of jurisdiction between the local guards, the guards that came down from Dublin, mm. um, the fact that it happened over Christmas. Yeah, so the pathologists weren't always mistakes. available and stuff. Yeah, that there, huge there were. mistakes were made in gathering the evidence at that time and unfortunately it's just not there now. Um, stay with us. It is coming up to 41 minutes past 11 on this Sunday morning. It's Gavin Riley with you on the record. Back with more from our newspaper panel in just a moment. Uh, Philip Ryan, Owen O'Malley and Eve Lyons are still with me in studio. <laughs> Philip, you have a story, uh, the, the splash story in today's Sunday Independent. Uh, the HSE trying to hush up uh, a bed inquiry. Tell, talk us through it, please, would you? This is a, this is about a, an independent review which was set up by the, the Department of Health in the wake of, you probably remember, 2017, 2018 winter when the trolley crisis hit. Record highs and people languishing on trolleys all around the country. And one of the main issues they wanted to explore was delayed discharges, which is when a patient is, um, when a patient patient is is deemed medically fit to leave the hospital but mm. do, but still needs additional care and and has nowhere else to go so they can there's no step down care there's no home care packages mm. and this is a huge bed blocking i suppose in a sense yeah. so they set up a review into it they appointed Graeme Knowles who's the the chair of university of Limerick hospital group and they asked him find out what's going wrong here and he went about his business and and one of the after about a year of trying to look into this he sent this email that which was released under freedom of information to the Minister, uh, Minister of State in the Department of Health, Jim Daly, which outlines some extraordinary behaviour and shows the difficulties he had. Number one, in trying to get um, information from the HSE. He, he, he struggled to get any reports or find any any data that he could actually use. And number mm. two, when he did find that the, the, the information he had was hugely underreported and the figures that were being published just did not reflect the reality on the ground, he had... So the HSE's HSE own official figures uh, dramatically understated the extent of the exactly. HSE's own problem. Yeah, and which are given to the ministers every day and are used as the basis for um, making policy decisions. So the HSE was allowing ministers to make policy decisions perhaps on, on the basis of wrongful data because the, the problem was much more acute it, than ministers were being let on. Possibly in that sense, but in an over, uh, w- without making too much excuses for them, I think it was because there was no national set guidelines for recording. It was one of the issues. But the, the more extraordinary thing that happened in the midst of all this was when he discovered this, he got a call from a, a senior HSE official. He says anyway in this letter, mm. who asked him not to highlight the fact that the underreporting was there. To 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 maybe when he is publishing his final report, maybe put that to the side. So. The quote is, he says, is because it was important not to damage confidence in the HSE. So they didn't want people thinking that, oh, God, they can't handle this crisis. The health service just isn't fit for purpose itself. Mm. Could you please just maybe put that to the side? Thankfully, he fought them on it and he was able to put out the figures. But it, it just it's an insight into some of the culture in what seems to be in the yeah. HSE and the Department of Health. The, the thing that I, d- I don't entirely get about it, I mean, well, I, I do get it to a point, but I'm not sure what the HSE intends to achieve by asking people to downplay the whole thing. Like, what is it that they're necessarily scared of because if you highlight some sort of shortcoming where they can then make a claim for more resources surely then the HSE doesn't come out of it all that badly they just say we're underfunded so I don't really know what the HSE is trying to get at I think it's public opinion as well that there's people fear that that they might they mightn't trust the health service in itself that there there is that issue involved you you saw it a little bit with the cervical check scandal where the where that, that issue of undermining confidence in the HSE and the, and the HSE's programs mm. is 
you know, detriment to, to supplying a good service. So I think that kind of ties into this as well. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. Mm. Um, Owen O'Malley, on an entirely different note, um, it was five years and a couple of days ago that in the aftermath of the European elections count in Midlands Northwest, which seemed to go on for ever and ever and ever, although we now have something that's going on slightly longer. Um, when there was a count between Thomas Byrne, Pat the Gallagher and Marion Harkin, I was doing a news piece and I got in touch with you as a political scientist to say, is it maybe time that we thought about reintroducing e-voting or examining that whole question again because we shouldn't be allowing seats to be decided uh, on small margins, which could be the result of human error. What did you tell me at the time? I said, no, we absolutely need to uh, have these sort of uh, counting and voting uh, because, well, one, nobody trusts, the, or very few people trust the uh, e-voting. It was investigated and there were, yeah. there were serious problems with it. That's not to say but we couldn't come up with some different system of e-voting. We could come up with some, I think people like to have a paper and pencil and know that when they put something in the box that mm. if... It, if there's if something goes wrong, it can be we can we can always just open up again and count them again yeah. and count again and if we have to count again and we will make mistakes and there will be literally hundreds of mistakes that are going to be made but those mistakes tend to uh, cancel each other out because mm. they're random mistakes and so it it tends to work we've seen in this local election a lot of times where a count came down to one vote mm. and we obviously those things have been recounted now in the in the Ireland South constituency we have a pretty big gap between two candidates. Mm. But we've um, never had such a big pile of ballot papers to get through. Yeah, so it's 700,000 uh, ballot papers. And so it does, and when you've got a 28 days estimate for counting them, mm. it does make us think, OK, I like so, I like Pierre Louis and paper, but maybe we want to think about how we might count these votes. Uh, Neve, what do you think then about the whole question mark of either revisiting uh, e-voting or maybe having some sort of a halfway house where you have manual voting, but maybe electronic counting? Yeah, I mean, if anyone has used the lodgement situation in the bank recently, you stick your cheque in and it reads your cheque. Yeah. I I wonder whether that actually might end up being slower if you didn't yeah. have enough people to kind of Or if you've got 23 sort of preferences system. to double check yeah. when you're feeding it in. But like say, the, la- the problem with the voting the last time was that it just spat out the four winners of the seats and those people were then just read out in, mm. in Dublin North. And that was seen as being almost a bit too cruel, like the people weren't prepared for it. So obviously we could we could see the data, you yeah. know, as to where the transfers came and whatever. There was also a bit of concern about could these machines be hacked? Like I only know this from buying a baby monitor in the last year. Unless something is connected to Wi-Fi, it can't be hacked. Yeah. So obviously there would be a way of protecting um, machines like that. I, I, I would be reluctant to go away from the pencil and paper because I think it is the most honest uh, possible way and kind of the least flawed way of voting. And I suppose mm. when you see, though, that down in Ireland South, there were 40,000 ballots uh, that had discrepancies and 25,000 of those were blank. Yeah. That means people just took the thing, didn't really know what to do with well, it. Well, there's also it in the, the huge fallout from that Kylie ruling in the Listowel Ward five years ago where it used, yes. to, used to be the case that a ballot paper that started with a two because someone had put their one on the other sheet yeah. that a two was valid. Now it's no longer valid. Um, Philip, what do you think that maybe some sort of a halfway house, maybe not e-voting, but e-counting? Well, it is 2019 and we talk to our friends on the internet, we do our shopping on the internet and we're still faced with these lengthy ballot mm. papers. Estonia casts its votes on the internet. Yeah, well. I, I, th- I think it is time to move towards that just for, for, for all sorts of reasons and mostly mm. for convenience. And it, there's also an argument for 
our taxes to work a little bit better for us when it comes to voting. Like there is still this situation where media organisations, the independent newspapers, RTE and others are forced to go along to count centres across the country. And, and that should be done as well to collect these votes and to collect them. Mm. But there should be some sort of centralised system whereby the when a vote comes in and they're called out by a returning officer, that is on put on some sort of online format uh, which is, can be easily accessed mm-hmm. by, the, by not just yeah. media by, by the yeah, public. No, I absolutely agree I've spent most of my week on, on Google Sheets and I, mm-hmm. I like to do it because I like to, to offer that service but I'd also like if some other form of state agency yeah. was actually yeah. doing it instead of me having to I mean one of the problems I think here is when you have 23 candidates and it's, it just seems too easy to get onto a ballot paper and that you need 60 people to nominate you and we could start looking at how do you Psychological assessments how, <laughs> Maybe yeah <laughs> Well, so you mean so like raising the bar, making it harder to qualify. So you don't limit the number of candidates, but you yeah, just so make I it mean, slightly harder. For to get a there. local yeah. election, having fifty or sixty seems reasonable, but for a European election, maybe sixty is is too few. And we could ask that if you can't get two hundred and fifty people to uh, to nominate yeah. you, or higher uh, again. Look how high the bar is for president. I mean, the MEP role not the, high enough, the, possibly not. But the the MEP role, it, it, the campaign at least is similar in its scale to the type of campaigning that you have to do and the, the candidates have to be relatively high profile. You don't want to make it into something, you know, we, we all, well, at, at a certain point, it looked mm. like someone like Saoirse McHugh might uh, make the cut, but you don't want to see it become the type of um, race where it's only former TDs who they're kind of mm. trying to get rid of from the dollar who want a new job. You you do want to see fresh faces coming in. Well, political parties can balance, facilitate that. It's, yeah. it's kind of independents who I'd never heard of before and I've forgotten yeah. their names of now, mm. but there were kind of five or six of them on the Ireland South ballot paper and they've done nothing. I'm not quite mm. sure what how mm. it served anybody by having their names. Uh, one idea that I saw being floated during the week, and I know this is something that they do in Scotland, but I actually I think this could genuinely work because I, I understand. I mean, I, I would be an advocate for something that makes the whole thing a little less uh, prone to human error yeah. uh, and, and indeed cumbersome as well. But at least maybe have uh, still have your, your manual ballot paper, but do some technology like you had said, Neve, where you have uh, either some sort of optical scanning thing where it tries to recognise what the ballot is or alternatively have your old school tallying operation on a Saturday morning where everyone stands over your ballot papers and you all look at it, but you watch somebody basically make a digital replica of the same sheet on the paper. So if you've got Joe Bloggs, number one, a and other number two that someone mm. punches that in manually and then you go through the whole ring roll but you allow the computer to do the sums instead of having to have this situation where somebody is still there in the count centre on a Thursday morning after working five My 12 hours My fear about that though that the civil sar- servant in charge of it would say who's going to check that the things that went through the optical scanner are correct. Like they well, will the always men. put in another yeah, layer. Well, the, the, the tally men will be able mm. to say whether, you know, this this adds up or not. And the they, can, they could watch watch things. Or, or just an electoral commission. Why mm. hasn't it happened? What's the hold up? A permanent electoral commission is so needed in this country mm. for everything from, I mean, we're all, we're, we're, we're in a phase now where we're having referenda like every 18 months. Mm. Like we need. Well, we'll, have, we'll have another batch in, in October yeah, again, won't we? we? we really, mm. really need. Um, and also, I think people get so confused. I mean, obviously in the divorce referendum this time around people weren't as attuned to it people saw it more maybe as a mopping up exercise which is fine but a lot of people I know went in and got totally confused by the ballot paper because of the Irish and we need to kind of get real about that Well if you Mm. didn't know what that that referendum was about and you went in and you just looked at the ballot paper 
you had been told you knew that it was something about divorce yeah. but yeah. you didn't know what your yes yeah. was a lot of people were saying to me you know. am I voting yes or no I was kind of like well that's to do with yeah. your own personal <laughs> preference well most people are going to vote yes yeah, and, and even the fact that there was a public information display thing on every single ballot booth it still seems to go completely mm. over people's heads um, anyway are we all agreed that we can just have some sort of electronic counting but that we can still keep I think you should be in charge of implementing it I put you forward of the election commission I will put my hand up for the sake of public service lads we're going to have to leave it there thank you all for coming in this morning Neve Lyons is the political editor of the Ireland edition of the Times. Philip Ryan is deputy political editor of independent newspapers and Owen O'Malley is a senior lecturer in political science at the School of Law and Government at Dublin City University. Thank you all very much for coming in. 